Welcome to Red House Rising, Season 3. This is Episode 1, Flying and Spying. Red House Rising is brought to you commercial-free, but once you've enjoyed the podcast, please visit redhouserising.com slash doingmore to learn how you can help in the fight to end human trafficking. Now, this is Red House Rising, Season 3, Episode 1, Flying and Spying. By the autumn of 1942, the U.S. Navy had more than recovered from Japan's attack at Pearl Harbor the year before and was doing real damage to the Japanese fleet and its vaunted air force. At the same time, all Hawaiian citizens remained under martial law while influential Japanese Hawaiian men were interned with a growing number of Japanese POWs, primarily at the Hanauliuli internment camp in the hills above Pearl Harbor. In China, the U.S. was providing indispensable help to the KMT nationalists and the Chinese communists who were holding their own against the Japanese army even as they took every opportunity to fight each other for control of China. In Japan itself, starvation was widespread and younger and younger men were pressed into military service. October 1942, Midway Atoll. 1,100 nautical miles northwest of Honolulu, halfway between the U.S. and Asia. Joe McMenemy pilots a Navy JRB-4, a big twin-engine Beechcraft float plane. Sitting co-pilot is FBI Special Agent Estelle Lockett. Midway Tower, Midway Tower. JRB-4C going, looking for its high up, over. Think of it. Right out there somewhere are four Japanese aircraft carriers at the bottom of the ocean. Defending Midway, our boys changed the course of the war. They did. God love them, they did. Midway Tower, Midway Tower, do you copy? Over. Is that smoke? JRB-4, stay clear of the dock. We've got a PBY on fire. Wait, hey! That's our Catalina. Hold on. Joe lands and powers into a mooring at the far end of the dock from the crippled Navy PBY Catalina. The PBY has been shot up, and its starboard engine is fully engulfed in flames. Joe and Lockett climb out and race toward the crippled flying boat. It's sinking. Sailors come running to help a fire team get a pump and hose in place, but it's too late. The Catalina's starboard wing explodes, showering the water with flaming afghans. The Catalina is listing badly, in danger of sinking. A crewman from the Catalina, in flight suit and life jacket, struggles to swim through the flames toward the dock. Cartano, here, we've got you. Joe and Rocket climb down and pull the crewman out of the water. The shoulder of his flight jacket catches fire. Lockett rips it off of him. The firemen have the pump working now, but it's a losing battle. Battered and bloodied, Catalina crewmen swim for their lives. Lock it. Duffy's trapped. Port gun blister. It shot up. I tried to open it, but my leg. The Catalina sinks dramatically. The fuselage and gun blisters completely submerge. And Bailey, he's still in there. Navigator. Jap fighters came out of nowhere. They got us bad. Got us bad. Joe pulls off her flight suit. 
Hey, Betty Grable, are you nuts? Have you got him? McManamy, what are you doing? Be right back. Joe, what are you doing? Joe dives into the flaming ocean in her bra and shorts. Joe swims fast under the flames, then sprints under the sinking Catalina. On the port side of the PBY, she sees the waste gun blister being worked on by a young sailor in his skivvies. The blister is shot up and nearly full of seawater. The waste gunner is fighting to keep breathing in the tiny pocket of air that remains. The sailor in his skivvies does a double take when he sees Joe swim up, but she grabs the twisted handle he's been struggling with, braces herself against the fuselage, and they both strain to slide it free and open the gun blister. The waste gunner is out of air, and Joe and the young sailor can see it. They brace again, and then with monumental effort, they jar the handle over and the blister opens. Joe helps the young sailor pull the waste gunner out of the blister. The sailor races for the surface with the gunner in tow. Instead of following them, Joe swims back under the PVY to the bomb bay doors and a hatch that floats open there. Joe swims through the hatch into the flying boat. Joe swims through the submerged interior of the Catalina, headed for the cockpit. She picks her way slowly until she surfaces in a small space behind the cockpit where there's still a pocket of air. <sighs> okay, where are you? The PBY shudders. No, 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 no! Hey, Bailey, Bailey, right? Joe finds the navigator caught under his table. Look at me, look at me. Just let me help you. Another explosion rocks the PBY, and with a rush, the pocket of air shrinks to almost nothing. <laughs> Bailey goes under. Joe staggers, then swims down and pulls Bailey up into the sliver of air that's left. <laughs> Bailey, you're coming with me. No. Do you hear me? No. Hold your breath. I, I can't. I... Hold your breath. No. Do it. Listen to me. No. On your mark. No. Get set. Big breath. Big breath. <gasps> Joe grabs Bailey and swims back through the plane the way she came. But the hatch is blocked now. Joe looks around, then turns and swims toward the open gun blister. What were you thinking, Joe? Lockett watches helplessly as the Catalina finally, completely, sinks into the harbor. I just can't believe it. Joe. Sorry, Lockett. That was crazy. I know she wanted to help, but... By Christ, look! There she is! I told you! There you go, Bailey. We need all the navigators we can get. The young sailor in his skivvies dives off the dock and helps Joe with Bailey. Joe, here. Let me help you. Better cover up. Use his jacket. Uh, hold on, Lockett. 
Check those pockets. I think you'll be happy. I managed to grab the recon film. Those are quite a pair of lungs you got there, kiddo. <laughs> and I do mean lungs. Too bad about your PBY. Uh, All right, uh, this thing is still bleeding. Let's get your leg looked at. Medic! Good thing you didn't drown, Joe. You would have missed that wedding. Wedding? No. I thought I had a shot with you, Joe. <gasps> it's my uncle who's getting married. So I guess he's the one you've got no shot with. Medic! Over here! Peace Catholic Church, Honolulu. Joe, Maru, and Sister Elaine are among a small group of friends and family waiting on the steps of the church. Joe holds her 10-month-old son Daniel in her arms. Ruby looked so happy. She did. She was radiant. <laughs> Poor Walt. He looked like he was going to faint through the whole thing. He almost did. I think that altar boy had to hold him up once. That boy's in your school, Maru. Kai is his name. Here they are. The vestibule doors swing open, and Walt and Ruby are showered with rice as they cross to where Ruby's Indian Scout motorcycle is parked. Ruby hikes up her dress, and Walt climbs on behind her. We love you all. We love you, and we'll have a proper reception one of these days when this war's finally over. Be careful, you two. Walt, take it from me. Hold on tight. <laughs> I know her caper. Don't you worry. She's not throwing me off this thing. I wouldn't be a very smart bride if I lost my husband on my wedding night. No, but I'll still be holding on good and tight. Smart husband. Husband. I like the sound of that. Nice for them to get out of Honolulu for a while. <laughs> you, you little wiggle wart. Come on, Daniel, give Mommy a break. Let's show everyone what you can almost do. Joe sets Daniel down, and he stands unsteadily. There you go. Come on. Show Sister Elaine. He took one and a half steps for me. There he is. There's Kai. Kai! I'll just introduce you to him. He's a nice young man. Kai, how are you? Fine, sister. I want you to meet Maru McMenemy. You're a sophomore, aren't you, dear? She's new at Our Lady of Peace this year. This is Kai Okana. He's a... Well, he holds some swimming records at the school, don't you, Kai? Some, yeah. <laughs> they won't last. No? Why not? because I plan on breaking them. Here you go, there you go. He's walking. Three, four, five. Oh, Daniel. He's walking. Oh, oh, Mommy's got gotcha. you. Oh, Daniel, yay. Oh, big boy. Look at you, Daniel. What a big boy. Mike Mercer pilots a US B-24 heavy bomber, one of eight B-24s flying in box formation over mountainous Western China. 
Damn, those Himalayas are gorgeous today. Wish I had a camera. I can shoot some film for you, Skip. No, I'll save it, Green. I'm taking pictures with my mind. Sorry, sir, but flying this goddamn hump, when I look at those mountains, I just see a bunch of dead flight crews. Cell phone close friends. Copy that, Turner. Copy that. Six o'clock high! Six o'clock high! There's bandits on our tail! Looks like two, three, two, four zeros! Roger that, Mouse. Here we go, gentlemen. FS-36, FS-36, snuggle up, boys. We've got company. Four Zeeks on our tail, six o'clock high. Over. You heard the man. Box it up now. What are these clowns thinking? They're not clowns, they're kids. That's all Tojo's got left. We probably look like C-87's flying cargo. Where do they find out we're B-24s with 50 caliber brownings? The Zeros roar past the B-24s, strafing them, then diving away. But the B-24 gunners rain fire on the Zeros and are deadly accurate. The two remaining Zeros turn sharply to make another strafing run. But the B-24 gunners annihilate both before they can finish their turns. Kunming, China, U.S. Army Air Base. Mike, his crew, and the rest of the B-24 squadron cross the tarmac. Major. Major Mercer? A message for you, sir. Love note from Air Command. Not exactly. I gotta go. How much you paying that kid to help you weasel out a debriefing? Come on, fellas. Let's go do Major Mercer's job for him. Mike enters a ramshackle building with blacked-out windows and makes his way along a narrow hallway. A door opens as he goes by, and he's pulled into a room. I missed you. Oh, my God. Alice, you smell so good. Just have a minute. Someone wants to see you. How are you? When, when did you get here? What's going on? I think we're going to see more of each other. I definitely want to see more of you. Oh. We have to go. He's waiting. Who's waiting? Damn, it's so good to see you. All right. Major Mike Mercer, Admiral Roger Kaufman. There he is. Hello, Mike. Do my eyes deceive me? Roger Kaufman? They do not. <laughs> it's been too long, Mike. Great to see you. You too, Roger. Good Lord. Raj and I flew biplanes off the Saratoga together back in the day. What brings you way out here, Roger? Didn't I hear they were making you a secretary or something? Assistant undersecretary, that's right. Of the U.S. Navy? Of the Navy, yeah. But now they've got me working on something else. All the way out here in Kunming? Damn, you must have really ticked somebody off, Raj. <laughs> ah, but Kunming means I'm joined by the beautiful and gracious Alice Chen of Chinese intelligence. The pleasure's all mine, Admiral. Please, just Roger. Mike, I know this is coming out of left field for you, but 
you've heard of Wild Bill Donovan? Sure, the war hero. Cagney played him in the movie, The Fighting 69th. Well, General Donovan is the reason I'm here in Kunming. FDR put him in charge of something they're calling the Office of Strategic Services. Ever hear of it? The OSS? No, I never have. What kind of strategic services? Whatever's needed. Intelligence gathering, subversive actions, sabotage, usually in enemy territory. Huh. Sounds like fun. Alice tells me you were shot down over Japanese-occupied Burma and found a way out. Rescued some women and children while you were at it. Yeah, well, that was thanks to a couple of village kids who hid me and a KMT squad who found me. And if you're looking for someone for your team, Alice's sister, Leong, is a bona fide guerrilla fighter. She rescued those girls. Mike, your General Lancer said he really needed you, that you were probably his best pilot. But General Donovan convinced him we needed you more, so... So Wild Bill wants me, huh? He does. And I could really use your help too, Major Mercer. Someone like you. Someone who knows the territory. Okay, Admiral Kaufman. Not sure what I'm getting myself into, but... Sure. Count me in. Good. I hoped you'd say that. Alice, when can we leave for Chongxin? As soon as Mike's ready to go. Chongxin, huh? That's where we get started. Okay. All right. Alice, are you coming with us? Of course she is. Alice promised to take good care of me in Chongxin, and I plan on holding her to it. Well, I don't want to be a fifth wheel if you two have plans. <laughs> oh, I have plans. Don't worry. I plan on taking very good care of both of you. Okay, good plan. Agreed. So I guess I'll grab my grip sack and see you on the flight line. Mokulea, Hawaii, 30 miles north of Honolulu. Taka Kawashima drives an old pickup along the North Shore Highway. Riding alongside Taka is Mackie, a young Japanese Hawaiian boy, and Tutu, Mackie's Hawaiian great-grandmother. he going in such a hurry? It was an MP. I think you're right, Mackie. It looked like it could have been a military policeman. I saw his uniform. Ah, this martial law is no good. It needs to end. It's almost a year, and there's no trouble with Japanese Hawaiians. No trouble. But these military police, huh? Some of them, they're trouble. They're the ones. Taka slows and pulls into a gravel parking lot in front of the Mokulea Medical Clinic. Well, maybe the NP had to get somewhere important, and he had to get there fast. Maybe he was late for an emergency. Probably just late for dinner. I don't see your mom. You want to tell her we're here? I'll go. I'll do it. Okay, you go. As Mackie runs for the clinic, a car pulls into the parking lot and skids Whoa. to avoid hitting Careful. the boy. Mackie! Mackie stops a moment and then keeps running into the clinic. A very large Hawaiian man gets out of the car. He's wearing an MP uniform. He stares at Taka. Sorry, he was excited, picking up his mother. Taka, get back in the truck. 
What did you say, sir? I'm sorry. He was excited to see his mother. I could have killed him. You need to be a lot more careful. It was my fault, officer. I need a leash for that great-grandson of mine. We'll be careful with him. We'll make sure he understands. I'll talk to him when he comes out. Can I see your ID? ID? For what? Not you, ma'am. Just you, sir. Um, well, I'm a fisherman. I just got off my boat. I don't carry it on my boat, so I don't have it. You're supposed to carry your identification card everywhere. You know that. You're a Jap, aren't you? What's your name? Sir, he's so forgetful. You'd forget your head if it were not screwed on, wouldn't you, Hiro? Hiro Kosai is his name. Thanks, ma'am. I'll take it from here. Is that your name? Hiro? What was it? Kosai. Hiro Kosai. All right, Mr. Kosai. Let's go. I have to take you in. Why? For what? He's not doing anything. Rules are rules, ma'am. No ID card means he's got to come with me. Is she a little bit crazy? No. Just get in the back. Mackie and his mother, Sue Ann, emerge from the clinic. Sue Ann is wearing medical scrubs. She's Japanese Hawaiian like her son. She hurries Mackie to the pickup and gets him inside, then crosses to the MP's car. Mano, sorry I didn't see you were here. The girls are still in the pharmacy. They can help you with the drug inventory. Suan, hello. I almost ran over your son. I know, I'm... He should be more careful. I I'm so sorry, Mano. You're absolutely right. He should. What's going on? Oh, this guy has no ID. Do you know him? Of course she knows, Hiro. Yes, yes, I know him, Hiro. Of course I know him, he's our good friend. Well, I'm sorry, but Hiro's in trouble. He's not carrying his ID and he's coming with me. Mano, Mano, wait. You know you're at the clinic every week, checking up on us. You know I'm not checking up on you. It's just my job, Suan. Okay, well, Mano, your job is hard, right? It must be hard. Yeah, it is. Sometimes. So is mine. We both see people who are hurting. They come to us for help. I'm just asking for your help, Mano. I know. I'm... Hold on, Suan. Mano, please. I, I know it's a really big favor. I just gotta check this. Mano, this is dispatch. Mano, do you read me? Your mom wants to know when she can expect you home for dinner. Over. Trudy, tell her I said not to bother you again, and uh, tell her I'm leaving the clinic now. Over and out. Get out. Go on. Next time I catch you without your ID, you go to jail for a long time. Understand me, hero? Yes, sir. I do. Thank you, Mano. Thank you so much. Taka and Suan cross to the truck and climb in. Taka backs the truck out of the parking lot and pulls onto the highway. You're 
name isn't Hero. You're right, Becky. You're right. Back at the clinic, Mono watches the truck drive off. He picks up the radio microphone. Ruby and Walt drive along the North Shore Highway on Ruby's motorcycle and stop in front of a roadside general store with several outbuildings and trailers in back. Hey, husband. Buy your wife a shave ice? I will not only buy my wife a shave ice, I will buy her husband one, too. Oh, you are the best husband ever. There she is. I wondered what that noise was. Did you come all the way from Waikiki on that thing? We haven't met. I'm Keeney. Ruby and I go way, way, way back. Keeney, I'd like you to meet Walter McMenemy, my new husband. No, Ruby, oh my darling, my darling. And so you came here to get my approval. Fantastic. Let me look at him. Now don't scare my new husband, Keeney. I just got him this morning. It's nice to meet you, Keeney. You've got yourself something delicious here, Walter. Be good to my little passion fruit. Treat her with care. I'll do my best to preserve your little passion fruit. The pickup truck carrying Tutu, Mackie, Sue Ann, and Taka pulls up in front of the market. Let me have a minute, you two. I'll be right back. Your mom and I need to talk for a minute. We'll be right in. There's Keeney. She'll help us. Mackie, you hold the list. Mom, are you okay? Don't worry, son. I'm okay. You don't have to say it. It's a done thing. I don't want to say it. Say goodbye. Oh, Taka. I love you, Sue Ann. And I love Mackie. I love you. I do. But I've got to leave. Turn myself in. Tell them anything, just not about you and your family. I don't want them to hurt you. I was a part of the diplomatic mission. A very small part. But that might be worth something. Dear God, no. What? Over Taka's shoulder, Sue Ann spots three dark sedans racing toward them. It's Mono. The cars roar up and skid to a stop, surrounding Taka and Sue Ann in the pickup. Mono jumps out, draws his pistol, and points it at Taka. The other MPs fan out, guns drawn. Mono, no! This is the phony son of a bitch right here. Just give me an excuse to put a bullet in your head. Please, Mono, he's he's not dangerous. Get out of the car, both of you. The MPs throw open the doors, yank Taka and Sue Ann out of the truck, and drag them towards separate sedans. A small crowd gathers in front of the market. Keeney comes to the doorway. What's going on, Mono? 
Mono! Military business, Keening. Stay back. Stay inside. I will not stay back. You're on my property. This doesn't concern you. Walt and Ruby watch from the doorway as an MP shoves Taka's head inside the car. For a brief moment, Taka looks back toward the store. No, it can't be. It, it can't be. Ruby, Ruby, I know him. I know that young fella. How do you know him? Are you sure? I, I think so. No, no, I know so. I know it's him. Taka Kawashima. He was the tower operator on Truk. He worked for Nick Nakura. Taka. Waikiki Beach, Honolulu. Maru is alone in her bedroom, in the house she shares with Joe and Daniel. She sits at a desk piled with school books, lost in thought. Can I come in? I brought you some ginger tea. Thank you. How's homework going? Finished. Oh, that's good. You've been so quiet today since the wedding. I know. Well, it's been a long day. Joe, I know I'm lucky to be here in Hawaii with you and Daniel and learning so much from Uncle Walt. Now going to sister's fancy school. I know I should be happy and I am very happy, but my family is in terrible danger. In my dreams now, my village keeps burning. Nefete is always on fire. Oh, Maru. I miss Mother Sapu and the other village ladies teasing me. I miss Nino. I miss him annoying me with his stupid little brother questions. I miss my chickens. I miss my old dreams. I miss Trip too, Maru. The way it was before. Before the Japanese came. Joe, they'll try to make our men fight for them, but they won't. And the girl's still there. Oh, Maru. Maru, I know how terribly they treated you in that red house. I wish I'd known and stopped it before it ever happened. Joe, you did. You stopped it. You saved them and me. And I'm so grateful. We saved them. You got those people down to the bay, past all those Japanese patrols. I couldn't have done it without you. We'll go back together as soon as this war is over. We will. Until then, we'll talk about Truk, good times and bad times, because it will always be our home. Hello? Joe, it's Ruby. Is there any way you can come to the military police headquarters right now? Of course, Ruby, but, but what happened? Are you all right? It's your wedding night. Yeah, we're fine. Well, maybe not fine. I need your help, Joe. 
The MPs are ready to throw your uncle in jail. In jail? I've got to go. It's the MP headquarters on King Street. Come as soon as you can, Joe. What in the world? Who's in jail? Nobody yet, but Ruby and Walter at police headquarters. I gotta go before curfew. Watch Daniel for me. I'll watch him. But what happened to their honeymoon? <laughs> I don't know. Ruby just said the MPs were about to arrest Walt. Arrest him for what? No idea. Come here. Give me a hug. I hope you know how important you are to me. You help me so much every day. And just like you, I'm worried about the people we love in the islands. You are my sister. We will look out for each other. It's all we can do. Red House Rising was produced, written, and directed by Chris Cote and Dale Carey. Episode two is next.